You're tuned into More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Fourth of July weekend, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and you know, as we get ready to celebrate our country's independence this weekend, we're going to reflect on our past. World War II wasn't the longest war that the United States has been involved in, but it, it was the deadliest claiming the lives of up to 50 million people. The war involved virtually every part of the world during the years 1939 to 1945, and it left a devastating and lasting impact on countries throughout the globe. The U.S. soldiers that fought in that war are considered part of the greatest generation, a generation who grew up up in the Great Depression and fought in World War II. The last living members of this generation are in their 90s, And I think that preserving their stories is a necessity so we can pass on their knowledge and history to the generations to come. Today, I'm pleased to have Mike Guardia on the show. He is a veteran of the United States Army. He's an author and a military historian. He wrote Hal Moore, A Soldier Once and Always, which was the first ever biography chronicling the life of Lieutenant General Harold Moore, whose battlefield leadership was popularized by the film We Were Soldiers, starring Mel Gibson. Mike's latest book, The Combat Diaries, features true stories from the front lines of World War II. Good morning, Mike. Welcome back to More Living. How are you today? Jim, how are you? It's great to be on the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you with us. Now, you're up in Minnesota now, is that correct? How, how are things in Minnesota? Sure well, um, a few degrees cooler than I, I am <laughs> used to, but uh, on the whole, I am no worse for wear. Mike, uh, first, thank you for your for your service to our country. Did you, did, at what point did you decide you knew you wanted to be in the Army? Let's see. Uh, I think for me, it really started at a very early age. Um, if I can, uh, if I can pinpoint a time frame, probably around the uh, time that I was seven. Um, you know, that was right around the time that the Persian Gulf War w- w- was kicking off, and uh, there was also the uh, there was also the 50th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. So uh, you know, just with uh, all of those great military events in the media at the time. Uh, and uh, the sense of patriotism I grew up with, uh, that's that's when I think uh, I knew I wanted to serve. And you served on active duty 2008 to 2014 for six years? I sure did. And then to talk a little bit about the transition from active duty to becoming a military historian and an author. All righty. Well, I think those two pretty much went hand in hand um, when I was in college. I studied history and I uh, was uh, 
was kind of an unusual animal in the sense that uh, I was an ROTC cadet while I was a graduate student. Um, so uh, finished, uh, I, I finished my my master's degree in history um, right around the uh, right around the same time that I was putting on my lieutenant's bars. And uh, being that um, history was a big part of my uh, big part of my academic career, uh, really wanted to uh, really wanted to write history books and wanted to uh, tell stories of generations of soldiers who had come before me, and uh, was able to write my uh, first book while I was still on active duty. Matter of fact, and had the uh, construct where I was a or I was an army officer by day and a book writer by night. And uh, when my active duty term of service came to an end, I already had a few titles under my belt. So I said, well, now that I'm rejoining the civilian world, uh, why don't I carry that momentum forward and just continue writing and telling stories about veterans and all of their experiences in wars past. Your newest book, Mike, is on true stories about the front lines of World War II. Uh, of course, it's called The Combat Diaries. How'd you come up with the idea to write the book? And why do you think it's so important to ensure these stories are preserved the way that you've done? All righty. Well, let's see. The uh, The idea came up, uh, came upon me really uh, just uh, as a function of where we are in the timeline. Um, I think it was around 2015 or so. Um, when uh, it became clear that so many of our World War II veterans were leaving us, um, you know, at, uh, at, it's it's gotten to the point where um, our World War II veterans are leaving us at the rate of several hundred per day, and I said, "Wow, you know, uh, given that we are uh, given that we are losing so many members of that generation, uh, I think it's imperative that we get a lot of their stories down on paper." and that we uh, preserve their experiences for future generations. And uh, you know, it hit me with a sense of urgency because uh, I was, when I was growing up in the 90s, um, you know, many of our World War II veterans were still with us. And, uh, you know, I remember seeing these guys everywhere. These, these, uh, these veterans were the gentlemen whom I saw day in and day out at the grocery stores. I mean, I saw them in the VFW parades, saw them at the mall. Um, you know, they were, uh, they were uh, part and parcel to our community. And, uh, you know, you almost take for granted and think that, okay, well, all of these, uh, all of these uh, people are going to be around indefinitely. And then uh, it starts, uh, starts to hit you that, wow, you know, time is short, time is precious. And uh, when so many of them start leaving at that accelerated rate, uh, that's when I told myself, wow, you know, I really want to uh, make sure that a part of them is around so that their great stories don't perish with them. And, you know, what I tried to accomplish with the book really is just uh, have an earnest, intimate portrayal of uh, people who are just like you and me, um, you know, regular, ordinary, everyday citizens who could very easily be your neighbor, could very easily be your uh, your uncle or your grandfather who rose to the occasion and they accomplished heroic things when the chips were down and the odds were stacked against us. You know, I think it's a great thing what you're doing. It does, even when I was preparing for this show, Mike, I mean, it is kind of shocking when you think, it, it just seems like it's kind of snuck up on us um, in terms of the age uh, and that they are 
people that fought in World War II for the most part are in their 90s at this point. I mean, it right. it really is kind of shocking because, I don't know, I mean, you think, as you said, you kind of think, oh, they're always going to be around, be here for us to learn from, but mm-hmm. that's not really necessarily the case. Um, how did you find veterans, Mike, who were willing to share their stories? Uh, well, I was very blessed in the sense that um, I uh, – have a lot of veteran friends who are up here, and uh, I also have a membership in a great organization called the World War II Roundtable. That is the dominion of a retired colonel and a Vietnam vet. His name is Don Patton, and uh, that organization up here in Minnesota is dedicated to preserving the uh, histories and legacies of all of our World War II veterans, and every month they have a roundtable where they bring in veterans to uh, share their stories in front of a panel of guests and historians. And uh, that was the, uh, that was the first inroad that I had to meeting a lot of the veterans who were featured in the book and uh, getting firsthand accounts to, uh, or really getting firsthand access to their stories and what their experiences were. And aside from that, uh, you know, just, uh, being able to access uh, the uh, recorded oral histories that uh, have been published through archives and that have, are in the hands of uh, uh, that are in the hands of historians both here in the state of Minnesota and across the country. Uh, so it's the it's uh, was the right amount of I'll say networking and the right amount of luck that put me in contact <laughs> with uh, those people who have uh, either have access to the uh, veterans themselves or have access to the oral histories that they've recorded in whatever private collections are out there. We're visiting this morning with Mike Guardia on July 4th weekend as we celebrate our independence and our freedoms. Uh, He is a Army veteran and he's an author and a military historian. When we come back, I want to kind of get into some of the stories you share in your book, Mike, The Combat Diaries. Uh, in your discussion with some of these World War II veterans. So do stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. More Living with Jim Rogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're visiting this morning with Mike Guardia. He is a Army veteran and an author and a military historian as we celebrate July 4th weekend. You can catch all of our shows podcast on our website. Uh, you can go to broganfinancial.com and click on radio. And we have our shows there. We also have our dollars and cents segments there. Uh, four to five minute segments on financial tips for the retirement lifestyle. Uh, You can catch us every Saturday. We're here 9 to 10 a.m. and again 3 to 4 p.m. Mike, let's dive into some of these stories in your book, The Combat Diaries. The 16 stories in the book, they include a ship engineer, a prisoner of war, a postal worker, an army nurse, just to name a few, how do you how different do you think that these veterans jobs were then compared to the jobs that soldiers have today? 
Well, I think there's a lot of similarity, actually. You know, I think uh, I think really the biggest difference when you look at it is uh, just the amount of technology that they have access to, and um, a lot of uh, and just a lot of what is expected of them in terms of administrative duties. Um, but really, when you look uh, at it at its core, I mean, these were these were soldiers who uh, I think well, these were soldiers, sailors, and Marines who I think are uh, just um, uh, in terms of their character are as or every bit as capable, um, you know, back then as they are today. Um, but I think really the thing that uh, ties them together is that uh, even even though they had a certain job and a certain specialty to do, they were often called upon to uh, to do things and to uh, fight in situations that were beyond the scope of what they were trained for. Now, your first story in the Combat Diaries, Mike, is about a young fighter pilot who remains one of the few Americans to fly a British Spitfire into combat. Can you give us some in- insight into that story? Absolutely. So let's see. Let's wind the clocks back to about 1943. And um, when we first entered the war, we were at a little bit of a disadvantage as far as our aerial forces were concerned, um, particularly because we were relying heavily on planes that, for lack of a better term, were outdated and outclassed. You know, we had, uh, you know, we, we had our, our fighter forces uh, who were going into aerial combat equipped with uh, crates like the P-39 and the P-40. And if you do a side-by-side matchup, uh, planes like the P-40 were just no match for a German Messerschmitt or a Japanese Zero. So uh, being that uh, we were a bit behind the curve when we got into the air combat role, uh, there were quite a few Americans who were privy to fly a plane that we knew could stand toe-to-toe against the Axis, and that, coincidentally, was the British Spitfire. Um, so you had a particular pilot. His name was Rod Rothmeyer, assigned to the 308th Fighter Squadron, and uh, you know he gets off of uh, he gets off of the uh, gets off of the boat at the replacement center in Casablanca, and surprise, surprise. Um, hey, Yankee pilot, you are now going to be flying a British plane uh, with which you have no experience, but you've probably heard a lot about, and you're going to uh, take this. Uh, you're going to take this British-built contraption and uh, fly it against uh, distinguished Nazi pilots who uh, not only have experience flying against the British, but also experience flying against the Russians on the Eastern Front. And uh, just being in a situation like that where you have to uh, learn how to fight on an entirely new piece of equipment against a uh, combat seasoned enemy, it's nothing short of daunting. And uh, to pull it off with the uh, degree of grace that he did and, uh, you know, to uh, rack up the impressive aerial victories that he did uh, really is just uh, nothing short of amazing. Yeah, it's really remarkable to hear a story like that. Um, another featured story in your book that really caught my eyes about a Navy combat diver called a f- diver who was called a frogman who swam at night mm-hmm. among the Japanese-held islands diffusing underwater mines. Um, you know, I'm fond of the story because of the, f- the, the word frogman. I guess this was kind of the 
precursor to what, or, or was this the precursor to what we now know as the U.S. Navy SEALs? It sure was, and uh, this was just an incredible story, um, especially for how daunting of a task it was itself, because here was a man who had joined the Navy and had every intention of being a Navy construction specialist, because that was analogous to what he had done in the civilian world, but then just innocently writes down on his intake form, oh yeah, swimming is one of my hobbies. Well, they said, well, hey, you know, if you uh, really enjoy swimming, we've got a job for you. And he was voluntold, <laughs> as they like to say, <laughs> um, to become what was called a frogman. And uh, you were expected to swim, and not to swim like a few hundred meters. You were expected to swim for miles in the pitch black, heavy currents of the Pacific Ocean. You were thrown out of a PT boat, quite literally, into the black icy waters, and you would swim... Um, at night, you would actually swim to the Japanese-held islands, and uh, with very primitive note-taking materials, you were expected to sketch out where enemy fortifications were and start uh, laying the foundations for what would be the underwater demolitions. Then you had to swim back to the rendezvous point, and you had to be precisely on time because if you missed that PT boat pickup, that was it. You were left out there on your own. You had essentially one of two choices at that point. You could go back to the island and try to hide from the Japanese and uh, stay there long enough until the American invasion force came, or you had to swim uh, several more miles up to, you know, 20 and even 30 to where the home base was and hope the sharks didn't get you. Well, it was six of one and half a dozen of the other because, yeah. uh, you know, you could either get eaten by a shark, and if the Japanese caught you, well, shoot, you know, that was game over. And they said, if you're about to be captured, here's something you never want to leave home without. This is a cyanide capsule. If you're ever about to be captured, just bite down on this. And even the instruction manual said death will be quick and painless and will be better than your probable experiences inside of a Japanese POW camp. <laughs> So the Frogman, um, you know, was the precursor, it, it, the, the underwater demolition teams, you know, it kind of, <clears throat> I guess they were birthed at that point. Um, that, that's always captured my attention. Um, and I support the uh, Navy SEAL Foundation, which helps, uh, you know, SEALs or any, anybody in Naval Special Warfare Command, especially their families of, of those that have been killed in action or killed in training. And they have, uh, they have a big swim down in Tampa every year, the Tampa Bay Frogman, where we swim across Tampa Bay. It's a 5K swim, and it's such a great, great cause. But that was kind of the birthing of, of, of what de that developed, right? I mean, that was really the start of what became the SEAL teams with the, with the Naval Special Warfare Command. It sure was. It sure was. Uh, every, every, naval, every Navy SEAL today can trace his lineage um, to the original Frogman program from World War II. Uh, they're really the ones who set the foundations for basic underwater demolition and uh, waterborne reconnaissance of any enemy outposts. Yeah, and that is the one thing that really makes the SEAL teams somewhat unique among the Special Operations Forces. They're all just incredible. But it's that, it's mm -hmm. that sea training, the water training, and the things they have to do there. Uh, in their line of duty. Um, now, World War II veterans, Mike, are part of what we call the greatest generation. 
and as you mentioned, those who st- are still alive in their 90s. To you, Mike, what do you think makes them the greatest generation? Well, I think that they're the greatest generation in the sense that uh, they rose to fight what was a qualitative force of evil, and uh, the the mission that they were on was one where the stakes were incredibly high and probably much higher, I would say, comparatively speaking, than other conflicts we were a part of. Because, you know, when you had the forces of fascism that were rising uh, on a global scale, as they were in World War II, for them, for our, for the members of our greatest generation to band together and to work as efficiently and effectively as they did, uh, really is not only a testament to their work ethic, but, you know, a testament to how they recognized the threat and how they were able to uh, overcome what looked like insurmountable odds. Um, it, because, you know, the forces of uh, fascism, the Axis military might, as it was, um, was something that was yeah, just uh, an incredible juggernaut. And uh, the outcome of the war itself was, was in question for us for quite a while. And one of the things that I touch on um, whenever I speak about the combat diaries is that, you know, we uh, we like to call those soldiers who fought in the war the greatest generation, but we have to caveat that by saying that, well, more than one generation actually fought in that war, because when you're talking about the greatest generation, you could be talking about the trigger pullers, like my grandfather, who was born in 1922, uh, but you also have to include the uh, the generals and the planners and the people who were the muscle behind the logistics. You know, guys like uh, you know guys like Eisenhower and Patton and Carter who were born in the 1880s and the 1890s. So more than one generation fought in the conflict, but uh, you know, the term "greatest generation" can apply to people of multiple vintages who were there and who were alive and who were contributing to the uh, outcome of our success. Yeah, I think also, Mike, you know, the perspective from people born in that generation, you know, prior to that, of course, they li- they lived through the Great Depression. So they saw so many economic challenges, and then they saw these different worldviews of how, you know, the, you know the, really how the world should operate. And, of course, coming out of World War II, it, it led to a great surge in really until fairly recently of globalization. And it's just kind of interesting how things are changing now and countries are trying to become more and more, you know, uh, you know, you have this populist movement. It's kind of just very, very interesting. But to me, all of that really contributes to their perspective that leads them to be called the greatest generation, at least from my perspective. Um, Tell you what, we're going to get to our next break. And when we come back, we're going to continue visiting with Mike and talk about kind of some of the implications moving forward with those that serve in our military. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. 
We come to you every Saturday here at News Talk 98.7 WOKI, 9 to 10 a.m. and again 3 to 4 p.m. You can catch all of our shows podcast on our website at broganfinancial.com. Just click on radio. It is 4th of July weekend. It's a special time of year to celebrate our freedom. And we're visiting with Mike Guardia. He is a U.S. Army veteran. He's also an author and a military historian. His latest book is The Combat Diaries, and it features true stories from the front lines of World War II. Uh, Mike, what do you feel are the biggest differences that separate World War II from other wars? Well, I think in a broader sense, in World War II, the enemy was very clearly defined, our objectives were clearly defined, and it was a war where... uh, the political management was more flexible than it was in a lot of the future conflicts that we served in. Um, you know, the, uh, the objective was given to our military very clearly. Hey, you have one mission and that is to defeat the Axis powers by any means possible. Exactly how you go about facilitating their destruction is up to you. Um, but the political leadership was uh, hands off in the sense that, They uh, let the military accomplish their uh, tactical, operational, and and strategic objectives without a lot of uh, without a lot of unnecessary hamstringing, I'll say. And uh, not only that, the uh, higher echelon leadership uh, had uh, had had a desire really for absolute victory. And while you know, of course, other armed conflicts that we've been in since we've had that we've had that same desire for victory. I'll say that the uh, the war management process has not been as ideal as it was from an operational standpoint because the very next big conflict we had was Korea, and you know from the outset they made clear, okay, well this is not a war in the traditional sense. We're not. It's not a declared. It's not a formally declared war. It's a police action, and the objectives are going to be limited. The uh, you know the amount of operational flexibility you have is not going to be to the extent that it was in the war that we fought just five years prior, and then of course, well, we all know the uh, we, we all know the disaster and the uh, fire show that was Vietnam, and uh, you know even in conflict since then, it's been uh, much more of a I'll say much more of a politically involved process than uh, it has been since the days that. World War II ended. So I think that's really the big qualitative difference there. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, on the other hand, really I would say that we could, yeah. that, That's just really interesting to me that that was, you know, with that response, because, you know, I, that was not where I was expecting you to go with the answer. And I think that's really <laughs> fascinating to think about the differences in the political involvement then versus now, even even all the way through to this day, it seems like it's, would you say it's become even more and more political even over the last 50 years? It seems like it has. It has, you know, and uh, I, uh, I, well, I think there has to be a degree of, I think there has to be a degree of political oversight in every conflict, uh, you know, so that it doesn't devolve into the point where you, you have a military dictatorship or a, uh, or a military coup, um, but uh, you know there is a uh, there is a demonstrable point I think where you tip the scales and okay you say that uh, too much political involvement and uh, 
too much uh, hand wringing and too much uh, um, too much of an embracement of feel good politics uh, does more harm in the long run than it than it does good. I guess it's that balance between accountability and you know there needs to be balance between the two structures, you know the politics and then also the uh, the war machine. But at the same point, mm-hmm. the war machine needs to be able to not be handcuffed you know, at doing right. what they do. Do you think that's a good way to say that? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, uh, there's a, there's a big difference between oversight and micromanagement. <laughs> yeah. Many veterans, Mike, are coming home with PTSD. And it's not surprising when you hear yeah. the details of these and other combat stories. Uh, what can we do, do you think, to, to, to more actively help support our veterans? Well, uh, that is one, that's uh, one area and one dimension where I think qualitatively we are in much better shape than we were back in World War II uh, because I take a look at a lot of my brothers and sisters in arms, uh, especially those who have come back from these more recent conflicts that we've had in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria, and uh, there is a much more defined, consolidated effort uh, to treat the mental and emotional health of our returning veterans and systems in place to help them uh, properly reintegrate into mainstream society after they leave the military. And a lot of those, uh, a lot of those resources, a lot of those organizations uh, simply did not exist after World War II. And I think, in a broader sense, you know, uh, people at the time, and even uh, for many years afterwards, saw World War II as a quote-unquote good war where we knew exactly what our objectives were and we knew we were fighting a uh, qualitatively evil force that was out there. So you as a returning veteran were expected to find solace in the fact that, Hey, we were on board with this crusade and, uh, yeehaw, we won against forces of fascism. So that's really, uh, the, that's all the therapeutic, um, that's all the therapeutic treatment you need right there. Just bask in the glory of our victory and go back to what you were doing before the war. Um, But, uh, you know, there was no real attention given to the fact that our soldiers were coming home with PTSD and they found it very difficult in many ways to reintegrate and uh, try to get a semblance of a normal life. It was really just kind of glossed over. Um, But now we have a much more consolidated and a much more defined effort to say, okay, well, we know the uh, we know what the horrors of combat can do to a person. So. You know, go talk to somebody at the VA, you know, use all of these resources like Wounded Warrior and uh, the and the DAV and what have you to, you know, help you decompress and to help you uh, wrestle with uh, whatever, whatever demons that you have and uh, whatever, you know, whatever troubles that you are currently grappling with, because we're here to help. We have a uh, we have a wide range of uh, specialists and resources that can help you so that we don't have any uh, so that we don't lose any of our uh, we don't lose any of our veterans to the darker sides of PTSD. Yeah, and I think there's no question we understand those issues a lot better than we did, you know, 80 years ago. Um, right. Mike, you were twice have been nominated for the Army Historical Foundation's Distinguished Book Award. And you were named in 2021 Author of the Year by the Military Writers Society of America. Uh, talk a little bit about that award and what that meant to you. <laughs> well, 
I think, uh, well, I think the Military Writers uh, uh, Society of America um, realized that writing is the only thing I'm good at. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, they, uh, I, I was, I was honored even to be considered for the award. Um, that to me was uh, just an incredible honor. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, in, I was humbled in the sense that I was thinking, wow, uh, you know, all of the heavyweights within that program somehow uh, thought that I was worthy to be considered for that distinction. And, uh, you know, through the right combination of luck and the grace of God, hey, uh, someone or someone's decided, well, hey, of all of the potential folks who could get the award this year, I think we're going to give it to the Spella Mike. Um, but uh, that was just an incredible honor and uh, one that I was deeply touched and humbled by. And just, it was, uh, for me, it was an affirmation that, wow, hey, uh, I think that uh, telling these stories is something that's important. And I think it's something that, that can resonate with broader audiences, um, both in and out of the military. And uh, that to me, I think was a clarion call. Hey, uh, keep writing these stories and, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep trying the best you can to uh, be a point of light for veterans out there and for folks who are really interested in hearing the human side of war. We're visiting with Mike Guardia. He's a U.S. Army veteran and a historian and book author. His latest book, Combat Diaries, uh, chronicles several stories from World War II. Uh, Mike, you appeared recently as a historian on the History Channel's I Was There series. Can you tell us a little bit more about the series? Yes, sir. Uh, so that is, it is an incredible series um, that is produced by a Minnesota-based film company called Committee Films. And uh, any of your viewers out there might be uh, familiar with a few of their programs. Uh, recently, uh, they did a uh, series called The Last Pope for the History Channel. Uh, they've uh, uh, they also did a uh, they also did a number of true crime true crime documentaries. Uh, most recently, one about uh, the uh, serial killer Todd Kohlhepp, which was down in the Carolinas. Um, but they've done a number of award-winning documentaries and docudramas for um, for uh, networks like History and Discovery and Nat Geo. And uh, their more recent one is I Was There, hosted by Theo Wilson. And what it does is it takes the host, Theo Wilson, and uh, kind of a quantum leap setup actually puts him right in the middle of all of these different major historical events that have happened throughout time. And as he's narrating uh, in real time all the events that are happening in front of him, you have cut scenes to any number of historians and experts who are providing additional commentary. And uh, I was cast as one of the uh, featured historians for the episodes on the Johnstown flood, the Oklahoma City bombing, the Chernobyl disaster, and the Battle of Stalingrad. And uh, it is an incredible series that I think really appeals to a qualitatively younger demographic because you know, it, it has a lot of intense action, and it's, uh, I think it's an equal parts educational and entertaining really to try to, uh, you know, to try to get a younger audience excited about, hey, here are all these things that are happening and that are being played out with all of these dramatic reenactments. And, uh, hey, you also get to hear from folks who have, have written and who have uh, become experts on whatever uh, the topic of this particular episode is. So uh, just a remarkable series. And uh, season one just wrapped uh, this past May. And uh, as of right now, 
Committee Films is in discussion uh, for um, the particulars for season two. So it, uh, knock on wood, it is going to be picked up for another season, and I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be incredible. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. So I was there on the History Channel. Mike, you've authored a few other books about military history. Uh, where can someone find more information about you and uh, also be able to purchase your books? All right. So let's see. Um, they can go to my website, mikeguardia.com. I also have a YouTube channel where I post uh, where I, I post historical footage and uh, podcasts every month. Uh, they can also go to Amazon.com to buy my books directly. Uh, other books uh, that I've written, they're available pretty much wherever books are sold, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. And uh, for any e-readers out there, uh, they're available on platforms such as Kindle and Nook. And aside from that, uh, if uh, any audiobook fans out there, uh, they're also available through Audible and streaming services as well. So Mike Guardia, U.S. Army veteran and a historian and military author, uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Again, people can go to MikeGuardia.com. Also, you any anywhere books are sold, certainly online with Amazon. Uh, and then your podcast, that's a uh, monthly podcast on YouTube. Mike, thanks so much for your service, and thank you for coming on uh, at a very busy time of year as we celebrate July 4th weekend. Well, well, Jim, thank you so much for having me on the program. It was uh, awesome to be here, and uh, thank you again. Yes, thank you. That's Mike Guardian. Again, his newest book, The Combat Diaries, uh, do pick that book up. It's a very, very interesting read uh, of 16, chronicling 16 stories, diaries, if you will, of veterans from World War II. Uh, when we come back for our final segment, we'll have our dollars and cents feature, and we're going to talk about freedom, financial freedom in retirement, and specifically transitioning from accumulation to income in very uncertain economic times. So stay with us as you're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back on this 4th of July weekend here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. You're listening to More Living. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. You can catch us every Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m., again, 3 to 4 p.m. Also, check out our podcasts online, broganfinancial.com. You can click on radio. Uh, Mike Guardia was our guest uh, this hour and a uh, very, very fascinating military historian and book author who just came, his, his most recent book, The Combat Diaries, chronicles stories from World War II. Uh, it is now time for Dollars and Cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. There's a lot of economic uncertainty. Are we in recession? How long will inflation persist? Will it go even higher? A lot of challenges for a retiree today. You know, you 
spent most of your life and your working years accumulating wealth and saving for retirement. But what comes next? The transition from accumulation to income generation isn't just a snap of the fingers. In fact, it's a whole new approach to thinking about your wealth, your goals for that wealth, and what your money can do for you. And with uncertain times ahead, it really does take unique strategies to effectively turn your wealth into a stable retirement income. And I think one of the most important things to realize is you're no longer saving and accumulating money. You're now withdrawing and spending your money. So it really does put a different set of pressures and stresses on the nest egg. And so I've got three tips here this morning of uh, just to kind of get you in the right framework, in the right mindset of preparing for the retirement phase. Uh, tip number one is to review your diversification and measure your risk profile. So, you know, most people that I meet with, uh, their risk profile when they see the amount of risk they're truly taking are really quite shocked. You know, how long has it been since you evaluated the diversification in your portfolio? What does diversification really mean? What's it supposed to do? To me, it means you have a whole lot of stuff in your portfolio that don't just move up and down together. So if one thing zigs, another zags. And with inflation and rising interest rates, it's important to have let's call it non-traditional types of diversification other than just traditional bonds. And specifically, do you own volatility in your portfolio as an asset class? Meaning, you have a holding in your portfolio that specifically makes money when, when markets are volatile. Because they're very volatile and volatility is a reality of stock market investing. Uh, tip number two would be structuring income with what I call bucket planning, where you set aside a bucket that's going to provide for more stable income. You don't want to draw fixed income from a variable investment. You shouldn't be drawing income from investments that are volatile and that are going up and down uh, in the market. Your income in the first really five to seven years from now really should be coming from more stable holdings. And then you only replenish that bucket when markets are up, not when they're sharply down. And then the third tip would be managing your behavior. You know, our behavior, human emotion is one of the top enemies of successful wealth management. And I think a big part of that is knowing how to structure things um, ahead of time so you don't get big surprises when markets are inevitably down our dollars and cents segment for this week you can find this week's dollars and cents segment and others by visiting broganfinancial.com check out all our dollars and cents segments at broganfinancial.com thank you for tuning in this week we've really relived history because understanding our history gives us a greater understanding and perspective so we can live the best years of our lives our way. Thank you to Mike Guardia, World War II historian, really Army veteran and military historian and book author for joining us. Have a wonderful July 4th weekend as we celebrate our freedom. You've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.